This week on Viewpoints. Without them, there is no accessibility. There's no availability. There is no programming. There are no seats available and families will continue to struggle. Highlighting the undervalued workers in early child care. Then. We can't solve poverty if companies like H&M are only paying half of what families need, workers need, to house, clothe, and feed their families. The fight for fair wages in the fashion industry. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Our families have always worked hard to accomplish the dream of home ownership. In this competitive market, Rocket Mortgage can help. A verified approval can give you an edge with sellers. Your finances have been approved, so they'll know you're a serious buyer. So when it's time to buy that house and make it home, Rocket can. For more information, call 888-900-0409 or visit rocketmortgage.com. A verified approval is based on an underwriter's analysis of your individual financial information appraisal and title report. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender license in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Across the country, there are about 63 million parents with children under the age of 18, according to 2020 U.S. Census data. Especially during the pandemic, parenting was no easy feat. Learning was disrupted, finding childcare was impossible, and being a parent in general felt especially isolating. Even those working within the childcare industry felt burnt out and undervalued. Now, more than two years later, as the pandemic winds down, many of these problems still remain. Parents are left largely on their own to arrange care for kids who aren't yet in school. But with severe staffing shortages and high demand, prices continue to rise. Many are asking, why isn't more being done to support people working in this industry and the parents who need more help? Dr. Caitlin Moran is one expert studying these challenges facing the sector. Moran is an assistant professor of early childhood education at St. Joseph's University. She notes that there are several options when it comes to child care for kids. So parental care, there's relative care. It could be a sibling, it could be a grandparent, it could be an aunt. There's non-relative care. That could be a nanny, that could look like an au pair, that could look like a babysitter. And then you have your more organized arrangements, and that's kind of more typically where you get into the early childhood education piece, because usually there's more organization, there's a schedule, this is typically outside the home. This means more curriculum-based child care that is developmentally appropriate for each kid. These types of care either operate out of a provider's home or an official center and require state licensing and approval, but are typically more expensive. For example, in full-time center-based care for two children is the highest single household expense in the Northeast and the Midwest. So cost is a big issue. And then you have programs like Head Start, which provide quality care to income-eligible families, 
but there's not enough seats. There aren't enough Head Starts to serve the need. So currently Head Starts serve about 42% of all eligible children. So cost is a big factor. And even if parents can scrounge up enough to make ends meet, often there are no open spots due to staffing issues. That has become an issue after COVID because we have seen this exodus of the workforce. It's a workforce that's been underpaid for a very long time. And during the pandemic, the workforce, I don't think, could reconcile being so undervalued financially, but also being considered essential workers. So many weren't paid when their programs were opening and closing, and that was not sustainable for their families. So they left. And that becomes an issue because when you have a licensed facility, so that could be the home care or center-based care, you're required by law to abide by ratios. So for three, four, and five-year-olds, you have to have one adult for every 10 children. And so when we've seen this mass exodus, I mean, in Pennsylvania, where I'm working and conducting my research, 91% of child care programs are experiencing staffing shortages. There are 7,000 positions currently open because parents have gone back to work or caregivers have gone back to work and there just aren't enough seats. So availability has become a really big issue. In May 2021, the hourly mean wage for a worker at a child daycare service was $12.40, according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Moran adds that most of these childcare employees are paid hourly and receive little benefits. With inflation and many other positions open that pay better, what incentive do people have to stay? On top of this, many working are mothers themselves who are struggling to arrange affordable care for their own children. They have even made comments like, they can't afford to send their child to the setting that they're working in, even with the discounted rate or a subsidy. So they have to make really tough choices to be able to work daily. And it's typical to go to a family member to help cover care or instances where they may bring their child and their child will come with them, but only for two or three days because that's what they can afford. And then they need to kind of put together a sort of fragmented childcare plan because they are so underpaid. Even outside of center-based care, many private nannies face the same predicament. There are hundreds of thousands of nannies across the U.S. with a large majority being women of color who span all ages. Sometimes these private nannies have their own young children and must leave them in order to raise someone else's kids. The experience of leaving a child behind indefinitely sometimes in order to protect and care for that child. And on the other side, to come into a home with another child who is needy and is small and is equally precious and to form a relationship with that child because your work involves direct care that inevitably creates this bond. And that uh, conflict is apparent in a number of the stories I heard that's Dr. Elizabeth Cummins-Munoz, a lecturer in writing and communication at Rice University and the author of the new release, Mother Coin, the story of our immigrant nannies. In her book, she features the stories of several women from Mexico and Central America who now reside in Houston and work as private nannies for local families. The work that they were doing in Houston 
primarily with the ones that I was speaking with because they were there day after day with the same children. Most of these women were employed by one family. Their work usually combined cleaning and housekeeping with childcare. Some of them only came a few days and on the other days they might have a house to clean or they might have another child that they took care of. They ranged in age from late teens, almost early 20s, to women in their 70s, grandmothers. She says many of these nannies are not salaried. But the women that I worked with tended to be paid weekly. There was a variation between employers who paid sort of regardless of illness on either end, regardless of if the employers were taking a vacation or not. Some did and some didn't. And one of the salient realities of this industry and this work is that it is effectively wholly unregulated. This means that many private nannies have no paid vacation leave, sick leave, or any kind of fallback if they can't make it to work that day. All of the power rests with the employers who can choose to add on these benefits if they see fit. If these nannies don't get any paid time off, they may not see their families for months or years on end. Munoz says that many of them relocated to Houston to work and left their own children back in Mexico or South America. The kids of these nannies were then placed in the care of other family members who were often already overloaded with kids, work, or unable to properly care for them. While this decision allows these nannies to send more money back home, it permanently affects the family unit, even if the children eventually relocate to the U.S. to live with their working mother. I'm thinking of a woman I call Sarah, who really, really struggles with what she perceives as her seven-year-old son's kind of growing resentment against her mother for spending so much time at work taking care of other children and really calling her out for it. While nannies like Sarah are working, their kids are often left in childcare that fails to meet their developmental needs. And this is the reality. Moran says the sad state of childcare in the U.S. has lasting implications on kids. Estimates suggest that only 10% of childcare meets the quality requirements shown to lead to positive outcomes for children. And then when you get into underserved communities, much of the quality available for families is low. And process quality in particular is very low. So we do know, though, that quality makes a really big difference. Quality programming leads to better performance on cognitive tests more developed social, emotional, and language skills, improved school outcomes, such as reductions in grade retention, special education placement, increases in high school graduation rates. And again, we know children from low-income backgrounds. For this group of kids, those benefits are not only consistent, but they're magnified when they have access to high-quality care. Moran believes that fixing the system starts by focusing on the workers. This means the private nannies, the employees at child care centers, and providing more adequate government assistance to family members who step into the role of caretaker. The early childhood educators need to be paid a livable wage because without them, there is no accessibility, there's no availability, there is no programming, there are no seats available, and families will continue to struggle to find child care.
It has been on the past two administrations radar to make these investments. It hasn't happened in the way that it needs to, but I think it's important that our legislators and politicians and those who represent us understand that investing in childcare, whether it's the workforce investment and that is on the table, but as increasing subsidies and helping families with tax credits and other ways that we can support families financially to be able to access early childhood education. To find out more about this topic and our guests, Dr. Caitlin Moran and Dr. Elizabeth Cummins Munoz, head to viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, the average garment worker in Bangladesh is paid $86 a month when Viewpoints returns. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Switching and saving with GEICO is easy, so you're free to ponder life's big questions. Like if a person can get discombobulated, does that mean the rest of the time they're just like, combobulated? Are we humans always in a state of combobulation? Until of course something dramatic happens and we are discombobulated for a while. Then we go back to being combobulated. Yeah, that's probably how that works. Switch and save with GEICO. It's easier than you think. Here's racing legend Rusty Wallace for Skechers Footwear with Goodyear Rubber. When I used to race at over 200 miles per hour, there was only one tire I trusted to keep me safe and connected to the track, Goodyear. So when Skechers put Goodyear Performance Rubber on their footwear, I put the pedal to the metal and raced to Skechers to get a pair. You see, Skechers uses Goodyear Rubber to enhance their footwear's traction, durability, and stability in almost any weather condition on almost any surface. From high-performance sneakers to rugged hiking boots to work footwear and everything in between, Skechers with Goodyear Rubber will give you the grip and long-lasting wear you need to set the pace. Plus, they have Skechers' famous comfort with exclusive fits and features like arch fit, wide fit, stretch fit, including air-cooled memory foam, and more. Look, if Goodyear can handle my race car going over 200 miles per hour, your Skechers with Goodyear can handle whatever you throw at them. Find a pair of Skechers with Goodyear at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. In 2019, fast fashion giant Forever 21 filed for bankruptcy. The company cited decreased sales and increased online competition as some of the reasons for the filing. At the time, some experts believed this move signaled a decline in the popularity of fast fashion. After all, in recent decades, there's been a big push to crack down and expose the toll of this industry on its workers and the environment. However, fast forward three years later, and there's been little slowdown in global fast fashion sales. 
While Forever 21 has stayed in the purview, several other mass-market fashion brands like Princess Polly, Shein, and H&M are reporting record sales. Just this past spring, the Chinese clothing giant Shein was valued at $100 billion. The online-only company has seen massive growth by constantly pushing out thousands of trendy styles at bare-bone prices. The void, the void of companies like Forever 21 going under is simply filled and Gap, which is teetering fast, and Old Navy, which is in a very good shape, by these new versions. It's like zombies, these new versions that come up and they're faster and cheaper and more impactful and more polluting. And it's just kind of amazing. And they're growing so fast you can't even keep up with the figures. That's Dana Thomas, longtime fashion journalist and author of Fashionopolis, The Secrets Behind the Clothes We Wear. Thomas says these newer fast fashion names specifically target younger shoppers on platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. While many millennials and Gen Zers seem to care about sustainability, climate change, and some fight for fair wages, why do so many young people still fall for fast fashion? Thomas believes not enough consumers understand the full scope of damage caused by this industry. On eye level, the flashy marketing, cheap prices, and constantly changing trends makes it all too easy to buy into these brands. If it seems like the price is too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Look at it askance and ask why is it so cheap? Because somewhere along the way, most every, not just somewhere along the way, all along the way, nobody was treated as well as you would want to be treated yourself. Last year, the world's second largest fashion retailer, H&M, raked in more than $23 billion. It recently publicized that it's aiming to double global sales by 2030. But who are the people driving these sales? Who are the workers creating these clothes? A large portion of the company's garment factories are located in Bangladesh, where the average pay for an H&M factory worker is about $86 per month. Compare that to the living wage in the country, which is about $200 a month. Meanwhile, the company's chair and former CEO is estimated to be worth around $1.5 billion. They're still the largest contractor in Bangladesh, where the average garment worker earns less than half a living wage. And we can't solve poverty if companies like H&M are only paying half of what families need, workers need, to house, clothe, and feed their families. Thomas notes that the fashion industry employs one out of six people on Earth. This includes employees in textile manufacturing, clothing production, or at a retail location. Many of these workers are living paycheck to paycheck or are simply not getting by. Thomas says there is progress happening to increase wages for garment workers. Within the U.S., one of the prime examples is in California, which is the largest garment production center in the country. In California last year, Governor Newsom signed into law the Garment Workers Act, which holds brands accountable when factories in California do not pay workers the state minimum wage. And I think the state minimum wage now is about $15 an hour. It's working its way up to 15. I'm not sure if it's all the way there yet. Before, brands would say, when busted by the Labor Department, oh, we had no idea that our contractor had subcontracted to somebody who wasn't paying the minimum wage. And they would punt the responsibility to the factory owner to pay the difference between 
what the worker actually earned and what they were supposed to earn according to law. It's called wage theft. Well, the state of California now says, too bad for you. The brand is now responsible to make up that difference. And that's enormous because that's holding the brands accountable and saying you've got to be aware of where your clothes are being made. And similar laws and policies protecting workers are expected to spread past California in the coming years, not just to other states, but in other countries as well. Germany is looking to have legislation that says you cannot import your clothes into our country unless your factories meet our standards and your workers are paid a living wage and you meet our environmental standards and our safety standards. And if that passes in Germany, that could then ripple across all the EU. And I know that there is talk in the EU of passing similar legislation saying, you know, you want to bring it into Europe, you've got to meet European standards. And the same in the UK. And if that happens, that's going to force the factories to up their games because they don't want to lose those markets. They're really important. Placing a widespread ban on imports from companies that don't meet the wage standard is game-changing. It forces fashion brands from the get-go to pay all workers, no matter where they are, a fair wage. Thomas says this and other new policies in the industry will ultimately result in more manufacturing making its way back to the U.S. So workers are working in safe factories and the carbon footprint of these clothes won't be so enormous because they won't be shipped back and forth and back and forth around the world. They'll be made close by their headquarters and sent to markets where not far from where they're made. And that already will have a really positive impact on the environment. The marketing behind Shein, Boohoo, ASOS, H&M, and other fast fashion brands can be enticing. The endless quantities of trendy clothes for cheap may seem like a good deal and a nice treat. But think about the practices you're supporting by buying these clothes. Quality rather than quantity should be the goal here. Why spend time, energy, and money on a piece that will break down in a few washes? The next time you shop, choose to invest rather than to buy on an impulse. If you're on a tight budget, head to a secondhand shop to thrift some clothes. There's nothing better than finding a unique piece at a discount and giving it a second life. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Dana Thomas, visit viewpointsradio.org. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri, studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at TreatCovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Chances are you're jamming in your car right now. And since Liberty Mutual customizes car insurance, so you only pay for what you need, Limu and I are going to show you some safe car dance moves. Hit it. Everybody, check your blind spots real quick. Now hands on the wheel. Put them 10 in two and move your head like a bird do. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty.
Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. In the streaming, on-demand, binge-watch 10 seasons type of world that we live in, nostalgic TV is very in. Netflix famously paid $100 million to license Friends for one extra year. Though its run with Friends has ended, Netflix recently added the entire run of Seinfeld to its service, prompting a small but real revival in watching the classic sitcom. My wife and I started Seinfeld from the beginning, which is something I've never done despite seeing plenty of reruns of it growing up. But immediately after we started the series, I was struck by its presentation in the widescreen format instead of its original 4x3 more boxy presentation. This issue is nothing new. For years, people owned TVs made for 4-3 presentation, which led to the rise of full-screen home movies that were intended to use up all of those 4x3 TV screens. The issue was that cropping the images to fit 4x3 meant losing quite a bit of the movie's cinematography. Now we have the inverse problem. We all own widescreen TVs, but when we watch older 4x3 content, some fans feel like the black bars are wasting their TV space. Consider me as passionately against that sentiment as possible. I want to see all of a show or movie more than I want to use up my whole screen. Cropping Seinfeld reruns to fit my TV is robbing me of some of the visual experience, and sometimes it even eliminates visual gags or reference points. This issue also popped up with The Simpsons back when Disney Plus launched, and Disney thankfully remedied the situation by offering fans an option to watch it in its original aspect ratio. It's really a no-brainer. Directors and cinematographers put thought into every inch of their aspect ratio, and the only way to experience something as intended is to watch it in that original format. Cropping an image, either to make it wider or taller, alters that show or movie, sometimes beyond repair. So here's to hoping Netflix, and everyone else too, permanently realizes that the original aspect ratios should always, always be the default. I'm Evan Rook. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I just got a swimsuit for less than 16 bucks at Kohl's, and that was just the beginning. I scored an extra 20% off already great deals, like 40% off patio furniture and 50% off outdoor dining essentials. So if you want more style, more savings, and more sunshine, you know where to go. Select styles. 20% offer ends June 26. Some exclusions apply. See storecoals.com for details. That's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows 
And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.